Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Welcome, I'm Chuck Lawless. And I'm Caleb Iverson. We welcome you to another podcast of Pastor Matters. Caleb, we're in December. We are in December, Dr. Lawless, that's right. Christmas is on its way. Tell us a Christmas memory that that comes to mind for you. Okay, so for some context, um, I was telling Dr. Lawless, with Christmas coming up, I have a really funny Christmas memory. So this was probably, gosh, I may have been like six years old or so. We had all the family together, and my mom, she had been talking about, she's getting this this gift from my grandpa. So I was really excited to see, okay, what is this gift? And so he opens it up, it's this big box, and it's a nice office chair. It's one of those really nice ones. It's got the nice cushion, the nice wheels and everything. And I just remember shouting out. I said, Mom, you got Papa a wheelchair for Christmas? Oh, and goodness. everyone just absolutely <laughs> lost it. And so it was just a hilarious memory we always talk about every year. But, yeah, so I always make fun of Papa in his wheelchair. All <laughs> so. right. <laughs> Someday we may need one of those ourselves for there sure. There you go. Well, I'm excited today. We have our president with us, the president of Southeastern Seminary, Dr. Danny Aiken who is Senior Professor of Preaching and Theology. He holds the Ed Young Senior Chair of Preaching. And Dr. Aiken, we're really glad that you're joining us today. Well, Chuck, uh, thank you all so much. I'm honored to do this. We are talking about leadership, and we'd love to hear from you about your leadership journey. So let's, let's start there. What was your first leadership role? How did you know you were supposed to lead? Well, I'd actually say my first leadership role was when I was small playing football, basketball, and baseball mm. because I would almost always wind up being one of the captains who would pick the teams. Mm. And uh, that's one of those things, as you know, nobody really votes on. It just kind of happens. And I was very um, – I love sports, very active in them. So that would just kind of happen uh, naturally. I guess uh, the first time I really saw myself in a leadership assignment – is when I went on a church staff uh, in Dallas, Texas, and though I was an associate pastor, I was over education, I was over the student ministries, uh, I was over evangelism, and so I was responsible for enlisting people, direct, training them, directing them, uh, giving them uh, encouragement and help along the way. And then in terms of what we do, uh, you and I now, in terms of academics, uh, when I was at Crystal College, um, I was appointed the dean of students. I still remember mm-hmm. when I was appointed, I told the president, I can't do this. I have no idea what a dean of students does. His response was, well, you'll learn while you do it. You start tomorrow. So I just mm-hmm. kind of got thrown into the deep end and um, just kind of learned along the way. And um, God, in his kindness, has allowed me to be a dean of students and a academic vice president and now uh, leading Southeastern Seminary, which is a great joy and delight. And you have been here? Uh, it be 20 years in January. Okay. So a long time. So apparently along the way, Dr. Aiken, others recognize leadership ability in, in you. Uh, talk to us about that, the significance of that, other people seeing in us a capacity to lead. Well, I think all of us are wired by God with a desire for healthy uh, and and authentic affirmation. And so when I was asked to lead uh, as a associate pastor and then asked to lead 
as a dean of students and then later as a academic vice president. In fact, again, I still remember when I had my conversation with Al Moeller about going to Southern Seminary, I again said, uh, Al, I don't know what a, uh, a provost, an academic vice president does. And he said, well, I see in you, I think, the qualities that would make you very good at that. Hmm. And I'll come alongside of you as will others, and we'll help you with the learning curve. And all of us that step into some position of leadership are going to have a learning curve. Uh, it may be short, it may be longer, but it's going to happen. And hopefully we are humble enough uh, to let others come alongside of us and give us some guidance and direction. You and I had a good friend at Southern Seminary, uh, Robert Hughes, who just died mm, uh, mm-hmm. last week. And uh, he was the associate vice president. And I cannot tell you how much uh, he helped me just knowing the playing field and just mm-hmm. getting familiar with the different responsibilities that I had. I could not have had a better friend and colleague during those those early years there at Southern Seminary. And he had come from the, the mission field, so That's he right. knew the significance of context. He did. And the, and the culture where where we were serving together. Absolutely. That's good. O- over these years, Dr. Hagen, what's what's the most significant leadership lesson that you you have learned? Well, I learned it um, from Adrian Rogers, hmm. who said that A leaders hire A people and B leaders hire C people, hmm. and you should aspire to be an A leader. Now, I don't claim to be an A leader, but I do aspire to be one. And so what he was simply saying is good leaders surround themselves with good people. Uh, They surround themselves with people who are better and more gifted in areas than than you are. And I do think good leaders uh, need to be self-aware, and that means they need to be uh, aware of where their strengths are, but also where their weaknesses are and where there are weaknesses, they need to work to compensate for those weaknesses. And one of the most important ways to do that is to surround yourself with people that are good in those areas. And I would argue that God's been very, very kind to Southeastern. We have a great leadership team of which Mm. you are part of it as well. Thank you. These are men that are really good at what they do. And I just try to step back, let them do what they do. Uh, If they need help, uh, I'll step in, but I'm not a micromanager. In fact, if I have a fault, I have many, but if it comes to leadership, I probably don't uh, get involved enough sometimes. Mm. But I'd rather be asked to get involved than my team saying, I sure wish he would let me do my job and stay Mm. out of my business. And so to me, that's a very important lesson. But you won't do that if you're insecure. Uh, you'll only do that if you recognize I don't know everything, I can't do everything, but God's equipped other men and women that can compensate for my shortcomings. Yeah, I've seen in you what I've seen in other leaders that uh, have been significant in my life. It is, it's not just selecting the right team, but it's helping that team to enjoy what they're doing. Hmm. So you you get, and I don't claim to be the best, although I'm honored to be part of your team, you get the best on the team, and then the best want to stay working with you because you let us do our job. And that's that's not insignificant for me, that you trust us with the task even as you, as you lead us. Well, I don't think that you can build a growing organization unless you approach leadership that way because, again, you can't do everything, and you're not good at everything. I think, unfortunately, a lot of times in churches— Pastors limit uh, the growth of their church 
because they just feel like they've got to go to every meeting. Mm -hmm. They've got to be involved in every committee. They've got to, in essence, micromanage everything. And if that's the case, you're going to limit the growth of your church because you're limited. But if you, even in a small church, there are laypersons in your church that are smart, they're gifted, they're godly, that if you will equip them and then kind of set them free, uh, they'll soar and your church will be healthier and will reach more people because you are multiplying yourself. It's really the, the model of discipleship, but you're doing it in the context of leadership. college at Southeastern believes that God is at work in this generation, calling out Christians to leverage their lives for the Great Commission. That's why we train students biblically, theologically, and vocationally in community to give their lives for the cause of Christ. In spring 2024, Southeastern will be hosting its annual GO Conference designed to train, challenge, and mobilize college students for the Great Commission. Invite your college group to join us on campus on February 9th and 10th Save the date and sign up for next year's conference at thegoconference.com. You mentioned earlier a name that I've, I fear the younger our listeners are, the less likely it is they know the name, and that's Adrian Rogers. Yes. Uh, a statesman, certainly an influence in the lives of many of us as young, as young pastors, Take, take just a minute and talk to our listeners about Dr. Rogers. What was it about him that made him such a leader? Well, God gave him some real natural gifts. Mm-hmm. He had an incredible voice that if you <laughs> heard him speak, I remember the first time I ever had a meal with him, we were at a restaurant in Louisville, and I was just curious. And so when we were talking, I was there with Al Moeller and, and Dr. Rogers. The moment he'd said something, Virtually every head in the restaurant turned to see who who said that, <laughs> and that was his natural voice. Okay. It wasn't a preaching voice. It was just the natural, mm. booming, uh, melodious, baritone voice that God gave him. But above all, he was a godly, godly mm. man. Everybody mm-hmm. that knew him, in fact, the closer you got to him, the higher your respect went. Mm. And um, this is worth just a moment. He came here and preached in chapel one time. And at the end of the service, I said, Dr. Rogers, uh, we're not going to go to the back. People will line up. We'll be here forever. Just step, stay up here on the platform, and people that want to shake your hand will come up. It'll limit the number, and then I'll take you and Miss Rogers to lunch and then get you back to the airport. Well, chapel then uh, ended at 11 o'clock. At 11.45, there was still a line of 20 people. Mm. I was so irritated. I'm like, people lack (laughs) self-awareness. They don't need to come down here and tell him their life story or all of their problems. They just need to say, thank you. It's an honor to meet you and move on. Well, they weren't doing that. So I walked over to Miss Rogers, and I said, somebody needs to go rescue Dr. Rogers. And I should have paid attention because she said, well, I'm not doing it. If you want to go do it, you go do it. Well, okay. I went over. I took him by the right arm, and I pulled, and I said, Dr. Rogers, let me. And he interrupted me and said, and this is a quote, Little Danny, when I'm ready to go, I'll let you know. (laughs) And so I walked back over, and metaphorically, I checked my beanie cap. I checked my suspenders and my Mm. shorts and my knee socks, and I sat down, and I just sat there. Well, at about 12.15, the last person in line was a lady, had to be in her 80s, a little, little small diminutive woman. 
And Dr. Rogers actually came off the platform down to meet her. And I walked over because this was the last person, and then I could get him and we could leave, finally. And she looked at him and she said, I've heard you preach for years. I never thought I'd get to meet you. Hmm. And I just want to touch your cheek. And she put her Hmm. hand up on his cheek. Well, when she did, he put his hand over hers and he bent over, hugged her, gave her a kiss on the forehead. And she immediately turned and walked away. And when she did, he looked at me and he said, now we can go. Wow. Hmm. And what I learned out of that is really genuine, godly leaders see everybody as important. Mm. And not only do they see everybody as important, they treat everybody as important. And as you and I both know, Dr. Rogers was the big gorilla he was. in the SBC. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a titan. And yet I never forgot that. And I remember talking to Bob Sorrell, who was his executive pastor for years, and I told him the story, and he just laughed. He said, well, that was every Sunday at Bellevue. Hmm. He said, Dr. Rogers had the unbelievable ability to treat every person at that moment like they were the most important person in the world because to him at that moment they were. Hmm. And I've never forgotten that. What a, what a gift. Yes. What a gift. Well, that's, that's a positive example. Uh, talk to us about the kinds of failures you see among Christian leaders today. Well, you and I both know in recent years, it's almost uh, been an avalanche of men who started well but Mm -hmm. have not finished well, which is heartbreaking uh, at every turn. And uh, though there were a variety of reasons why uh, these different men have not finished well, I think a common uh, factor was they lost their intimacy uh, with our Lord. Mm. Because if you're uh, spending time with the Lord Jesus every day, and you're in his word, which the Bible tells us in James is like a mirror. Uh, it shows us our, our sin. It shows us who we really are. Uh, it's pretty difficult to walk down the path some of these men have walked. And certainly when it comes to men that have failed morally in terms of their marriage, without exception, they would in an honest moment say, I had lost my intimacy both with my Lord hmm. and with my wife. And so if we want to finish well, uh, which I, as you and I get older in particular, mm-hmm. that's becoming more and more an ambition of mine. I think it's crucial that we stay close to Jesus and close to our spouse. And if we do so, the odds go way, way up that we will indeed finish well. So I think that's one thing I've seen. The other thing is an inability to delegate, uh, an inability to uh, hand off responsibilities to others and trust them that they can do the job. And again, micromanaging will be, I think, uh, limiting. It will also be frustrating. Uh, It will wear on you. And I'm not surprised that in some cases, men that do that burn out and therefore they don't continue. And I understand why they burned out. And if they could have just found the ability that I, I, I am who I am in Christ, So are these other men and women that are in my orb of influence. God has gifted them, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12. God has uniquely gifted them to do things that I can't do and certainly can't do as well as they can. Give them the freedom to go, and I think that that will greatly enhance the uh, likelihood that you continue well and finish well. Mm. That's good. Some years ago, you— You taught me something. You may not have known you did it, but you talked to us in cabinet about uh, 
when you face a situation, you evaluate, do you respond to it? And, and something along the lines of you think it through, is this going to be an issue a year from now? Yes. Uh, talk to us about that. That's, that's been very helpful to me. Well, we all have things that we have to deal with when we're in leadership. Uh, there are always going to be fires that have to be put out. Uh, but it's important for us to make a distinction between a little brush fire and what could develop into a forest fire. Mm. And mm. so for me, when I have an issue that appears needing attention, I ask the question, well, how will this look a year from now? And if the answer is it will not be a big deal a year from now, I'm not going to treat it like a big deal. But if I recognize, well, a year from now, this will still be a problem. And in fact, a year from now, this could be a really big problem. Then I need to go ahead and deal with it and deal with it quickly and deal with it decisively. And uh, this is where I was helped by Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, Mm. because Mm -hmm. Collins says that uh, leaders often hesitate or delay to make hard decisions. And he didn't say this, but I think that's especially true with Christian leaders because we don't enjoy uh, hurting people. We don't enjoy seeing people wounded, which is almost always going to happen if you have to make a hard decision in terms of a termination. So we wait, uh, and we wait, and we hope, Mm -hmm. uh, and we procrastinate. Mm -hmm. But Collins brings out in his book that when you make that hard decision, morale almost always goes up, not down. And in fact, you hurt morale when you have a situation where people know this individual is not doing their job, is not performing well, and yet you keep waiting and waiting. I remember uh, a number of years ago, we had to make a hard decision with respect to a particular individual here. And that person had been here quite a while, and they'd had a pattern that frustrated almost everybody for quite a Mm -hmm. while. And finally, we made the decision, and I remember walking across the campus one day, and one of our faculty members said, well, we never believed you would do it. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, this person's been acting like this for years and years and years, and we just figured we're just going to have to put up with it until we retired. And the fact that you went ahead and did it, I mean, we're all grateful. We just didn't think it would ever Mm. happen. And that basically convicted me that no, when you've got an issue that needs to be dealt with that is going to be a growing issue, it's not going to go away, Uh, you need to go ahead and deal with it quickly, decisively, graciously, and and in a godly fashion, but you need to go ahead and deal with it. And Chuck, in all the years I've, and I haven't had to make too many, Mm -hmm. but where I have had to make those decisions, uh, Collins proved to be true, morale uh, among our institution did not go down. It went up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we live in, in I think, a unique tension as Christian leaders in that on one hand, we want to be gracious and offer grace, extend mercy. On the other hand, we live under the urgency of the, of the Great Commission. Yes. And trying to figure out how we navigate those waters, uh, pushing forward and being gracious to, to, to pull people along. It's just not easy some days. No, it's not. And you're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You're going to make uh, uh, bad calls. But if you're in a leadership position, uh, you know, eventually the buck does stop with you and you have to make those. And so, again, um, I can't think of a time where and, and I know I've made mistakes, but I can't think of a time where I made a decision very precipitously, just off the cuff. No, uh, unless it was a moral issue, mm-hmm. then you just go ahead and you deal with it, uh, and 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 that's what you do. But you know, I try 
it's kind of again coming back to Collins. He talks about uh, leading the bus and uh, trying mm-hmm. to have the right people on the bus and the right people in the right seat. Well, there have been times where I've taken a person and moved them from this seat to that seat to another seat. And sometimes we finally landed in the place where they needed to be. Uh, there have been other times where, you know, the fact of the matter is, as much as I love this person and would like to keep them here, they really would fit and, and they would excel in the work of the Lord better somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard decision to make. But again, when you do it, almost all, uh, every time the, the morale of your school doesn't, or your, your entity, whatever it is, your church, it doesn't go down, it goes up. 20 years you've, you've been here. Talk to us about your vision for the future for Southeastern Seminary. Well, I, I do really believe uh, about a decade ago when we revised our mission statement. Our mission statement back then had been written by a dear friend of mine who was a philosopher. It was a full <laughs> page in our catalog. I mean, a whole page. Wow. And as we looked at that, and there was nothing there that I did not agree with. But as far as having a memorable mission statement, it wasn't there. Mm. And so in a cabinet retreat, we spent almost two days just thinking through and hammering out who are we, even better, who do we want to be going forward? And we came up with that Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the churches and to fulfill the Great Commission. Well, I think that's the right mission statement. Mm. I absolutely do. And therefore, I hope and pray it will be the mission statement 20 years from now and 100 years from now if our Lord tarries his coming, because I do believe that last words are meant to be lasting words. We say this all the time around here. And of all the things Jesus could have said as he ascended back into heaven, five times the Great Commission is not just in Matthew 28. Uh, It's in Mark 16, and it's in Luke 24, and it's in John 20, and it's in Acts 1. If that's what he had on his heart as he was ascending back to the Father, that ought to be front and center and on our heart as well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really good. Let me go to a different direction uh, while we have you. Uh, I've, I've known you a long time. I've watched your, your, your boys grow up. Uh, you, you have done well in raising your, your kids. What did you, you do well? What did you and Miss Charlotte do well as, as parents? Help our, help our listeners. Well, let me say, first of all, uh, to some parents out there that are hurting right now with where their kids are, you can do everything right, and mm. your kids can still walk down a, a, an unfortunate path because they have the ability to make their own choices and decisions, and we can't control those when they become even uh, teenagers, but certainly not when they become adults. But God has been kind uh, in terms of our four sons, and, and I would say this, from, from the, we, we're very simple. We're, we're not complex. So we had a very simple game plan, uh, number one. And most importantly, we want our kids to, to grow up to love the Lord Jesus with all their heart and to believe that he was the most wonderful thing in all the world. And Charlotte in particular was really helpful here because she always talked about our family, not as a family of six, four boys and a mom and a dad, but a family of seven, hmm. four boys, mom and dad, and Jesus. Hmm. And he was just a natural part of our life. It wasn't forced or weird. No, he was just a part of our everyday conversation when something would happen. Well, what do you think our Lord thinks about that? Well, what do you think he would do if he were in this situation? Well, what does the wisdom of the Bible indicate would Mm. be the proper way to respond here? So we we just tried to have a a Christ-centered family. Then secondly, we had fun. 
we had fun. Our house was a fun house. And I often say playfully but truthfully, if your kids grow up in a fun house, when they get old, they'll come back and visit you and they'll bring the grandkids. Hmm. And that's a pretty good deal. And so we just had a lot of fun. And as a result of that, I think they came to believe that being a Christian and following Jesus didn't mean you missed out on fun. You actually had the most fun. And uh, they did have a lot of fun. We did have a lot of fun. And church, by the way, even though uh, that was natural because I was on a church staff, but church was very important to us. And it wasn't a burden. And uh, we were in good churches. Uh, And so, uh, I mean, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I did Tuesday night visitation, too. And so it was a large part of our life. But at the same time, so were athletics. Uh, Hmm. But, and this is, I think, uh, worth throwing in, we never allowed athletics to take priority over the church. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I have a bone to pick with with parents that surrender their soul to these travel teams. I think they're making a massive, massive, massive mistake. First of all, even doing that, which means their kids excel at what they do, uh, 99.9999999999% will never play on the college level, much less the professional level. Mm-hmm. But secondly, what they're saying to their children is church and Jesus are fine when it's convenient. Mm, wow. So when mm-hmm. our boys were, and they were very good athletes, Nathan played D1 basketball for three years at Murray State. Uh, when we lived here the first time, we would have soccer games on Sunday, and we would inform the coaches any game before one thirty, our kids will not be at. And they would say, well, they're the best play. It doesn't matter. Uh, well, where are you going to be? Church. Well, you can skip. No, 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 no. We don't skip church for soccer games. Mm. And we didn't. And my boys just understood, no, church is more important than football, basketball, baseball, soccer, or any sport. And I'm glad we made that decision. And again, we still had a lot of fun with athletics, but athletics did not take the place or priority over our commitment to the things of the Lord. They just didn't. So we finish up today. What what else would you like to say to our our listeners, to pastors, encourage pastors? I would say to pastors, have as a rock-solid foundation this conviction. Ultimately, all that matters in life is that I please the Lord. That will save you a lot of grief, a lot of ulcers, a lot mm. of anxiety, and high blood pressure. Just I just need to please the Lord. Secondly, walk in humility. Uh, the Bible is very clear. God hates pride, but he lifts up the humble. And then thirdly, uh, follow the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, where he tells us if you want to be great in the kingdom, you want to be first in the kingdom, then you be a doulos, slave and you be a diakonos a servant for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many and i remind myself and try to remind those around me and especially my sons you're never more like jesus than when you are a humble servant Mm. for other people and if you're a humble servant uh you'll lead well Mm. because people will want to follow a humble servant thank you dr aiken for for modeling that for us. And thank you for joining us for this this episode of Pastor Matters. My honor. Thank you, Chuck. And thank you, listener, for joining us as well. If you found this conversation helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give. 
As always, it's our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope that we've done that with today's conversation. And as always, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.